We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This week on episode three of the Garage Beers podcast. Well, it's freezing again. But at least one of us will be toughing it out in the garage. And that garage is going to get a little bit fuller as we welcome in the radio voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Tim Alcorn. We'll talk about his first year on the job, his thoughts on the team, his status as a legendary high school sports broadcaster, and more. Plus, the Browns revealed a return to the classics, and the Tiger King aired a new episode this week. And you know we've got to touch on that. All that. Plus our weekly installment of Garage Beers of the Week. It's going to be a good one, so come on in, pull up a lawn chair, open your favorite brew, and join us for Garage Beers. Hello and welcome to Episode 3 of the Garage Beers Podcast. I am Michael Keefe. And joining me, as always, on the Garage Beers podcast here in the garage, or I should say there in the garage, actually in a garage, is my buddy Chad Meyer. Chad, what's going on over there on the east side? You are freezing your nuts off over there in that garage. Yeah, I'm the only one that owns up to the name. I mean, Joey can't. I mean, obviously, because, but uh, I'm the only one that uh, owns up to the name here. Are in garage I'm in my garage. Huh? Are you saying he's incapable? Well, no, no. I mean, uh, you can't keep production equipment outside. Come on. I could rent a garage for $30 a month if I wanted to. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, I would never ask you to do that. Where's the dedication, Joe? Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, 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 I'm layered up. I'm dressed up. I've got uh, the most disgusting beers on the planet next to me ready You're to so try dumb. to drink. You're so dumb. And well, I, Sorry. Sorry. No. Look at no. this thing. Look at this thing. Like, this thing looks like my piss at a drug test cloudy and very sketchy like <laughs> you're gonna love it it's 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 so bad we're it's not so even bad. there yet just talk about how are you how's life i'm good how's the garage i'm good i'm good life <laughs> in the garage is fine you know this is the only place i can uh, be as loud as i want to and not wake anybody up so except for the neighbors uh, but i'm excited though you know we got our first special guest this week and let's let's get to it mike yeah so chad's good he's freezing but he looks good out there in the garage. And we got down in Nashville, Tennessee, where it's not 30 degrees, is Joey Whalen. What's going on, Joe? What's up, guys? Uh, yeah, it's not 30 degrees, and it's actually incredible uh, to just be able to go outside and not have to put on jackets 
and coats. Oh, cool. Do you guys shovel this week? Shut up. Did it snow for you guys? Shut I up. hate you. Ah, tough. Formerly, <laughs> no. formerly joining us on the garage. Yeah. Joe <laughs> He's <Wayne>. gone. <laughs> you're Joe now. You're, Joey was affectionate, but I don't feel affection anymore. So you're just wait, Joe. Wait, 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 wait. Have you got us Matt Chapman yet, Joe? Working on it. Okay, you can stay. <laughs> you can stay for a bit. Just for a bit. Yeah, until that, you can stay. Until that, I'm gone. <laughs> well, as Chad alluded to, we have got uh, a really exciting episode this week as uh, joining us here in just a little bit is going to be a good friend of ours, the radio voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, after a shortened first year, uh, Tim Alcorn will be joining us, and he's going to have some great stories from his first year on the job with the Cavs, as well as um, some really cool stories from his many, many, almost 30 years of high school broadcasting in Lorain County. And one fantastic story I'm going to ask him to tell of, uh, of how he grew up in Massachusetts listening to the cabs on the radio when Joe Tate was on the call. It's a great story and uh, just a great turnaround, or not really a turnaround, but just a turn of events that now he's the one that kids somewhere around the world are listening to when they're listening to the Cavs game. So we got Tim Alcorn coming up in just a bit, but before we get to anything else on our show, oh, and we got, of course, the Tiger King. Uh, they went ahead and ran a follow-up episode this week, so we're going to have to go ahead and talk about that because Carol Baskin killed her I husband. Can't I can't wait. Yeah, right? But before we do that, as always, we've got to start, and I'm so excited for this. We've got to start with our Garage Beers of the Week. And this week, we ran a poll, and I did this on purpose because I'm mean to Chad. We yeah. ran a poll, which style IPA should we have? Because I'm a firm believer that the best beers on the planet are IPAs. Now, I love, right. I love other beers, but IPAs are great. And so we asked, should we do West Coast IPAs, which are those real bitter, piney IPAs that I love? Or should we do the New England IPAs, which are the hazy, juicy, uh, really delicious IPAs? And kind of an overwhelming majority said New England IPAs. And that's what we're going with. And I know Chad is super excited about it. <laughs> you know, so is it only, I, I got to come back to it. The Stone Cold beer that you had a couple weeks ago, that's an IPA and you yeah. raved about it. Yeah. Is it just because said, Stone Cold did it? I told you earlier is, is um, I, I'm not saying I've never had a decent IPA, but if you're going to put, and Stone Cold's was a decent IPA. It was well-balanced. It was not too hoppy and not too bitter. That's fine. I can take a well-balanced IPA, but most IPAs are shit, are absolute dog shit. And well, it, like, if you're going to put, huh, what? You're wrong. No, I am. I'm right. I'm very We're saving right. you for last. You're wrong. Like we're I told you earlier, you last. Joe, Joe, you know, I'll share this quote we do this week. IPAs are what brewers brew when they have run out of good ideas or just never had a good idea at all. It's dog shit. It is. It is. I don't know who oh. I don't know who gave you that idea, but you're lucky. <sighs> like I'm gonna I'm gonna throw pine needles mixed with a cup of awful, and then uh, the worst tops ever. And you know I, I can do the Keystone Light bitter beer face. You're so. Well, but uh, here's my, the good my entire night of drinking. Now you promised me. You told me this before. You promised me that you have not tried it yet. No, I'm not. I've not. Okay. No. All right. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna leave you for last because. I just want you to hear, I want to hear you tell us how wrong you are. And you're no, going to, you're I'm going won't. to. So I'm going to leave you for last. And I'm actually going to lead us off this week. 
There's, so there's, this there's week, 157,000 other things I'd rather do than 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 drink a, an awful IPA. That tone's going to change, and I know it, everybody. All right, I'm starting this week. So my garage beer of the week this week uh, for New England IPAs, I find that they're they can be a little difficult to find outside of New England. Uh, and up in the New England area, they make some of the best beers. These New England IPAs are amazing. But there are a couple breweries in town. One of my friends over there at the Jolly Scholar, but I wasn't able to get that. But my favorite in town New England IPAs here in Cleveland are Masthead Brewing uh, down downtown. Um, uh, Masthead is a great place. If, you, if you've never been there, it's humongous. They make pizzas. It's a cool place to hang out when, you know, you're allowed to hang out with other people. So I went down there and talked to the gentleman down there that was helping me out yesterday. And I picked up a couple of their different uh, New England style IPAs, but I am going with their uh, New England style IPA called Pony Goes Pink. And it's kind of a special edition. So I had to get it in a crawler, which is great. Uh, and it's an 8.2 percenter. And that is the juicy, hazy nature of it. And it is flipping delicious as Masthead tends to do with these New England IPAs. So my beer of the week, Pony Goes Pink by Masthead Brewing in Cleveland. Joey, what do you got down in Nashville? That's delightful. I, uh, as you alluded to, it was pretty difficult to find a New England IPA down in, or a Northeast IPA down in Nashville. Um, but after a couple trips, mask on, going to a couple liquor stores, uh, I found this Braxton Brewing Company uh, out of Covington, Kentucky. Um, it's the Tropic Flare New England style uh, IPA. Um, and it's really good. It's like, um, it's kind of like creamy. And I would say like, if you don't like IPAs, uh, this is probably a good one to try, honestly. Oh yeah. That's, that's hey. the new England South Covington, Kentucky, just outside, just South of Cincinnati. Uh, and so you like it, you, you, you give it a good rating. I would buy it again. All right. Hey, listen, I'm not saying other people can't like IPAs. I'm just saying out of all the beers that you can make, they're the worst. <laughs> they I'm are. Just, I'm just real excited for this because yeah. we're going to just get to it. It's the moment of truth here. I've been waiting for it. Uh, I have to tell you, getting Chad to do this has been worse than pulling teeth. It's been mm. worse than pulling oh, teeth. Yeah. He just, first of all, you just went to the store and bought like the worst one you could possibly find. Well, I, and I had to talk you into going to buy another one. Well, yeah. Yeah. And so, but, but anyways, here's your moment, Chad. Here's your moment. I want you to, to tell us what you got. And then I want you to taste it. And then please be honest with us. Well, yeah, of course I will. Of course I will. Uh, I went to Heinen's uh, reluctantly, and I walked through the aisles, and I only found, actually, I mean, you are right, though. The, the, you know, New England-style IPAs are very hard to find, and I only found two in, in the aisles at, at Heinen's. So I sent Mike a picture of both of the beers that I found. One was from BrewDog. Uh, that, that was a New England-style IPA, and... This other one that he told me to pick out was from R. Shea Brewing Company, and it's down in Akron. I've never actually heard of it, but um, yeah, apparently it's an award-winning New England IPA. It's brewed with the powerhouse trio, flavorful Citra, Mosaic, and Simcoe mm. hops. Yeah. This is the stuff legends are made of. <laughs> Content warning. According to the surgeon. Oh, sorry. Can't get enough of your love, babe. Yeah, there's no story here, but um, yeah, like I said earlier, this thing looks uh, sketchy as hell. Um, What's the name of the beer? It, it looks like pineapple juice mixed with urine, <laughs> and it's god awful. Um, 
I, I also tend to find down at the bottom of IPAs, there's like set, like sediment, yeah. some sort yeah. of sediment at the bottom. You have of to IPA, roll your can, which is also a turnoff. Uh, so here goes nothing. I mean, it's, what's the uh, name of the beer? You didn't give us the name of the beer. You gave oh, us the brewery. Yeah, sorry, the name of the beer is uh, the Three Legends New England Style IPA. Uh, it's a six six point six and a quarter percent ABV. I will say that that is one positive thing about IPAs. If you want to suffer through drinking IPAs, they're usually high alcohol content, so you only need a couple to catch a buzz. So that's uh, that's the good thing about it. But uh, here we go. First sip. So excited. You better tell the truth. So, <laughs> come on. It's just as I suspected. Oh, you're so stupid. It started off citrusy, and I thought it was going to be good. But then I got the most, like, the, the biggest kick of just bitterness and, and, and regret that I've ever gotten in my life. And I, I, I fully regret this decision. But, um, you know, it's beer. I'm going to drink it. I'm going to choke lie. it down just because, uh, you know, I love beer and it's garage beers. And it, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't finish a beer on this podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, the good uh, news for you. Listen, I can't, I can't tell you what to like. The, uh, I can't tell everybody else what to like. But the good news for you is I set the precedent last week. You got to do the first one. It's got to fit in. But if you want to go get a, if you want to go drink whatever Natty Light or Keystone Light or Bush Heavy or whatever, whatever your fine refined palate likes, go ahead and have one of those afterwards. No, no, no. Because you know what? I'm gonna try this guy afterwards. You know, I'm keeping with the IPA theme. I'm not going to a different beer like someone I know last week didn't keep <laughs> with the theme. So, <laughs> well, we're going to listen to Chad suffer through this, but our garage beers of the week, uh, that those are them. Uh, they're delicious. Whatever Chad says, don't listen to him. Um, but we'll post pictures of these on our, on our Twitter, on our Facebook. Uh, and uh, again, if you have recommendations, if you've got a favorite New England IPA, a favorite IPA, a favorite kind of beer uh, that you like, let us know, interact with us. And uh, maybe we'll just see what you uh what you suggest on our uh, every weekly edition of Garage Beers of the Week. So now we are really excited to welcome in our very first special guest on the Garage Beers podcast. He is, well, he he was in his first season as the Cavs play-by-play man alongside Jim Jones uh, uh, on the radio side of things. Uh, And before he joined the Cavs, he spent 27 years with WEOL Radio in Lorain County, uh, his accolades, if you look at like Hall of Fames in Lorain, like sports, high school sports Hall of Fame, he's in like all of them, like baseball and softball and football and broadcasting. And he's won like every award in Lorain County. But he was very familiar with the Cavs, spent a lot of time at the Q with WEOL. He did countdown, uh, countdown at the Q before a lot of the Cavs games. Uh, and he is a member uh, like I said, of many of those Hall of Fames as a broadcaster, we are very, very excited to be joined by the radio voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Tim Alcorn. Tim, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's great to uh, see and talk to you guys and obviously uh, looking forward to a fun conversation. Knowing you, Michael, knowing Chad Meyer, 
something tells me this could go down some very interesting paths right now. <laughs> I, I don't know what you mean. I, I can't for the life of me understand what you're I mean, talking about. Tim, this is basically going to be NPR with drinking beer, so it's <laughs> just been very lame. <laughs> Do you have any uh, any garage beers in front of you tonight, or are, you, are we going beers free? Uh, yeah, I'll do beers free, but I'll be curious to know uh, what your what your each individual choice is. Well, it's funny we did. Uh, let's let's ask you this first, Tim. Uh, if if you were to indulge in adult beverages, what are your preferences? What 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 is what type of beer does Tim drink? I'm not big on the IPA beers. Uh, I'm more of a Corona Blue Moon kind of beer drinker. Okay. Listen, okay. now's not the time to drink Coronas, Tim. <laughs> well, I, Blue Moon. I'm a Blue Moon guy. <laughs> all Blue Moon all the time. <laughs> yeah. No, I did ask him. We asked him as we were talking if he wanted to join in in the beers of the week. And he, and he told me that exact statement. He said, eh, I'm more of a Corona Blue Moon guy. But uh, hey, listen. Tim, cheers to you anyways. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, bottoms up to both of you as well. Congratulations on this, by the way. This is very cool that you guys have put this together. I, I wish you nothing but the best. You're two talented guys. So uh, I'm sure it's going to do very, very well. Hey, listen, we're going to bug you as much as possible. Bye -bye especially, me. Once, especially once sports get back going again. We might have to talk to you about some high school sports. We might have to check in with you throughout the Cavs season next year. Right. Well, you mentioned the uh, the WEOL uh, background of mine, and I was burning up that WEOL app throughout the uh, last part of the football season and throughout the high school basketball season just because I'm calling games at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse and various arenas around the country. Uh, I didn't forget about high school sports. I love high school sports. Uh, it's a part of who I am, so – when I was out on the road in those hotel rooms, it was the WEOL app that was coming through my phone a lot of times. Yeah, we love it. <laughs> uh, so we're going to get into a little bit of, of your uh, your first year with the Cavs. We're going to get into a little bit of your WEOL, but I want to start, and you told me this story, and I hope you remember telling me the story. You and I went out to lunch at Red Robin in North Olmstead, and it had to have been, what, like a week before you got the Cavs job? No, it was uh, totally. It was a few months. It was a few months before that. <laughs> it was whenever your FM tower went up. Yeah, the FM. Or maybe tower, it was. It was well, here's, the, here's the ironic thing. I remember the FM tower uh, for WEOL going up on the exact day it happened because it was my birthday. So I just remember that. So the FM tower went up on July 27th because that's my birthday. So is. so late July would have been when we had lunch, and then the the Cavs thing unfolded a couple of months later. Okay, so my timeline was a little off, but I was close. close. Uh, oh, yeah. by the way, no free ads, Red Robin, if you're listening. <laughs> I'm going to work on them this week. Um, you told me a story, and I, I wanted to ask you to retell it on the podcast here because I thought it was awesome. And then once you got this Cavs job, it, it's goosebumps. It's a goosebump story. You told me a story about growing up as a kid in Massachusetts and how you used to get your radio out and you used to listen to basketball and the signal strength from here in Cleveland was so strong that you would pick up Joe Tate calling Cleveland Cavaliers basketball as a kid in Massachusetts and listen to those games. So tell us a little bit about that because the fact that it came full circle for you is crazy. Yeah, it's funny you say goosebumps, uh, Mike, because I just got goosebumps as you uh, relate that because it is a true story. Uh, 
I, I lived in New England for about 10 years. And during that time, it's really when I decided uh, I want to be a sportscaster. Uh, that was kind of my boyhood dream. And so uh, we had a little tan transistor radio. I can still picture that radio. And it, it sat on a little uh, bedside table that I had. And I would sit there and go up and down the dial uh, with this transistor radio, this bedside radio. And of course, back then there was no streaming, there was no ESPN and all that. Uh, I'm a lot older than you guys, so, so I'm aging myself. But uh, I'd go up and down the dial, and uh, of course the Celtics, uh, I was living in New England, they were on 1030, which actually, ironically, you can hear in Ohio, WBC. And as I would turn the dial, uh, if I was listening to a Celtics game and wanted to hear what else was on, just to the right of the Celtics was this far away radio station in Cleveland, <laughs> Ohio, which seemed like, you know, the other side of the world to me uh, on 1100. And I was listening to this guy named Joe Tate uh, called Cavaliers basketball games. And so sometimes the Cavs and the Celtics were playing the same night. So I go back and forth, back and forth between Johnny Most, of course, the voice of the Celtics and Joe Tate, the voice of the Cavaliers and, and on the nights that the Celtics were off, I would just listen to Joe. So uh, I knew all about this Joe Tate guy when I ended up moving to Ohio as a junior in high school and then uh, ended up going to, to Kent State University and got some Cavs credentials and was able to go down to the old Coliseum and was able to meet Joe and our relationship developed from there. So I went from this seven, eight, nine-year-old young kid sitting on his bed listening to Joe Tate called Cavs games of six, 700 miles away to uh, now sitting in the Joe Tate perch at rock and mortgage field house. It's a, that's just incredible. It's a pretty that's special crazy. story. Yeah. I get goosebumps just telling you the story because it's a true story. I mean, unbelievable. And I, and I think I shared with you at that lunch in the uh, restaurant that we will not mention the, uh, <laughs> the, the very first, the very first Cavs game that I ever Received yes. a press credential for as a college senior at Kent State. Uh, the Boston Celtics were playing at the Coliseum. And I walked into the, the media room and they were sitting there together. Joe Tate and Johnny Most, I had never met either one of them. And I could hear their voices. And each one of them have probably the most distinctive voices in the history of radio broadcast play-by-play men in the NBA. You know, Joe with his voice and of course Johnny Most with that you know that voice that sounds like he swallowed glass and uh so I walked up and I just kind of did a real quick introduction uh, just to let them know that this is an unbelievable moment for me I listened to both of you uh growing up as a as a kid in New England and I said I just wanted to introduce myself and and Joe said you're not going anywhere sit down here and uh, I know, this is just crazy. And I said, no, no. <laughs> and he goes, no, nope, you're going to sit down here and tell us about yourself. And so I sat down and, you know, they were each having a cup of coffee. And so we just talked. And before, I'll, and I, I'll never forget this, Joe got up and he said, are you calling basketball at Kent State? And I said, yeah. And he goes, give me your tapes. I want to listen to those. He didn't ask me. <laughs> Give me your tapes. Give me your tape. Wow. That's what he said. So uh, gave him some tapes and, 
you know, developed a relationship from there. Because the next time I was at the Coliseum, he literally called me over. Hey, Timothy, Kent State, come over here. Ah, and, uh, amazing. It, it flourished from there. What, what, were, what, were the, what were the nerves like for you uh, going to introduce yourself uh, oh. to them? <laughs> it was, yeah, I can still remember that moment. I, w- I was nervous. I was really nervous. And, but I also just had this thing going through my head of, wow, this is, this is a surreal moment for me. I mean, I literally, as I stood there in that press room and I could hear their voices, it literally was a flashback moment for me. Like these were the guys that I listened to as a little kid on that transistor radio. And so it was almost like something pulled me over to that table. You know, like, I just want to say hello. I just want to introduce myself. Never thinking that they were going to say, you sit down here and you talk to us. And never in my wildest dreams thinking that uh, Joe was going to not ask me, but tell me. <laughs> he, wanted, he, wanted to hear my, he wanted to hear my work. He wanted to hear what I was doing at Kent State. And of course, he walked away and I was absolutely appalled because I'm thinking, that's not good play by play. <laughs> Kind of one of those moments where you like where you were nervous, but you would regret it if you didn't go and introduce yourself. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it, it's an unbelievable story. It's a true story, and uh, like I said, the the biggest honor of my life is to now sit in that Joe Tate perch because of that whole backstory and that whole relationship and what he meant uh, to Cavaliers fans and still does, and what he meant to the organization. So. Uh, it's incredibly humbling for me. It really is. So tell us, Tim, was seven, eight, nine, ten year old Tim Elkhorn, did he kind of explode out of you when you got the news that you when you got I don't know whether it was a phone call. I don't know what it was. But when they told you, Tim Elkhorn, you're going to be the next radio voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. What, what was that feeling? What was that? What was the emotion there? <laughs> Man, Mike, how many times are you going to give me goosebumps tonight? All because night, Tim. Oh, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah, well, that's another that's another goosebump moment because you never forget, uh, you know, when you're told, when you get your dream job. And that was my absolute dream job. And it's interesting you asked that question, Mike. It shows you're a good interviewer because, uh, you know, one of the, well, the first, the first person I told, obviously, was my wife. And I told Diane, literally, word for word, because I can remember saying to her, I keep thinking of that kid in New England listening to the radio. I said that to her. So it's a great question because I did. I thought about that kid and, you know, what what would he think, um, you know, listening to these games uh, on that transistor radio? And I don't know if there's too many more transistor radios in the world (laughs) right now, but uh, to think that someone out there, you know, is now – going to be listening to me uh calling Cavaliers basketball and whether it's here you know in Cleveland in our market or somewhere around the country maybe not on a transistor but on Sirius XM or right. you know on, on TAM whatever it may be uh, it, it really it's a it's an over it's an overwhelming moment <laughs> amazing but yeah it's 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 still overwhelming it is when I really step back and think about it but yeah when, when you're told uh Congratulations. You're the guy. It's uh, it's something you'll never, ever forget. Oh, it's incredible. And, uh, you know, we've worked, Chad and I have worked with Tim for a long time. I've, I've, I go back to Lake Erie pressures days. They keep coming up on yeah. our podcast. 
I go back to Crusher's days with Tim, and I'll never forget when I told you I was leaving the Crushers, and you looked at me and you said, Mike, uh, you ever think about doing any high school radio? And I thought, sure, call me. And you were like, all right, I'll give you a call. I'll put you on the list for football season. And, and, uh, and you, you did know, phenomenal work. You do terrific work. I mean, I do. It, listen, I'm maybe, maybe mediocre. As long as I'm a little better than Chad, that's all I care about. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the thing is, you know, believe me, in, in all of all of our work, the three of us, uh, we've all heard outstanding broadcasters uh, that aren't at the major league level, if it's baseball or the NFL level in football or, you know, the NBA level in basketball. We've all heard outstanding announcers. Uh, you mentioned the Crushers, you know, our friend Andy Bullbarch. He's yeah. terrific. He's an outstanding yeah. play-by-play man. So... Uh, for me to somehow, some way, <laughs> miraculously, uh, now be in a job where only 29 other people have that job, uh, when I realize how many outstanding announcers there are out there that, for whatever reason, uh, didn't get the break and aren't as blessed as I am, uh, I shake my head because there's great announcers doing high school sports and college sports and uh, well, you just wish there were more big league jobs out there for those guys because they're outstanding. They're really good. And, well, you, and I think you both are very good. Mike, Chad, you guys are both terrific announcers. I think a lot like like in a lot of other jobs, I think I think reputation helps. And I think I think the reputation that you built for yourself and we'll get into W.E.L. a little bit later as far as. Um, just the incredible stuff that you did and the stuff that Chad and I have noticed over the years of when you talk to some high school football coaches who can be literally the worst interviews on the planet. But when you talk to some of them about Tim Alcorn, they all, their face lights up. Oh, Tim has done so much for us. He does so much for the game. And, and, and so the reputation, I think it's not just so much your ability. It is your ability as a play-by-play man, but it's not just that. It's it's all that other stuff, that reputation that when they looked at you and said, do we want to bring this guy in? They looked at all of that. And and I'm sure that all played in. So so let's talk about your first year. <laughs> I, let's well, what, talk about it. Well, what a memorable first year. My goodness. I mean, uh, first of all, as we alluded to earlier, Mike, the, the, the timeline was so compressed and so shortened and, <laughs> And certainly one of the things uh, that I have kept in the back of my mind uh, throughout the season, and whether it continues or not, uh, the NBA is going to talk about that in May, but uh, it all happened through tragedy, you know, through the passing of Fred McLeod. And uh, so I always hearken back to that because, you know, I wasn't searching for a job. Uh, You guys would have been stuck with me at WEOL for as long as uh, you would have been there, and I would have been there. But I, I was a human roadblock, and um, and and the uh, you know the circumstances under which Fred passed uh, were so tragic, and it was also so sh- short uh, or so short of a time frame before the Cavs were about to get up and running. I mean, Fred passed in in mid to late September, and training camp opened in October. So. Um, so it was it was almost a blur as far as going through that entire process, uh, literally from from the time that, that Fred passed until the day I got that phone call that you alluded to, Michael. Uh, it was about eight or nine days. Uh, it was very very quick. It was not a long drawn out process, uh, but it was but it was compressed. I mean, it wasn't like they just called me up and said, "Hey, 
you're the guy. I mean, I still had to go through a process. I had to go through interviews, submitting audio and that sort of thing. So it was very whirlwind to start. Um, I think it was uh, the day after it was officially announced. Uh, the very next day, I went to New York for two days for NBA broadcast meetings. And uh, I, I will say the NBA community, uh, the other play-by-play guys within the league, uh, they have been so welcoming and so gracious to me. I've had a couple of halftime interviews on you know other stations uh, you know across the NBA. And I mean, Chuck Swirsky of Chicago, Tim Roy of Golden State, uh, those guys have just been great. So, uh, so they've been very welcoming, and, and they kind of think it's a, a neat story. This, you know, this high school play-by-play guy now calling the NBA at uh, 56 years old. But, uh, but it's been a it's been a whirlwind, and it's been uh, certainly uh, it's been exhilarating, you know, to to go out and see these arenas, uh, you know, travel with the team. Uh, I don't really know the guys too well. That's usually one of the questions that people ask. You know, how well do you know the players and it's different now uh, than than when Joe was calling the Cavs. Uh, he was pretty tight with a lot of the players. Um, I'm, I'm really not, uh, and that's fine by me. I mean, I'm not a 25, 28-year-old play-by-play guy that really wants to know these guys. Not that we I also wouldn't. didn't have any time to get to know them with how quick the season was going. Right. That's true. <laughs> that's true. So, um, but Jim Jones, you know, you, you mentioned him at the start when you did the introduction. Jimmy has just been unbelievable. Now, we knew each other from my days at WEOL doing the countdown show that you talked about, right. where Jim was on that show several times with myself and Scott Cirilla. So, uh, but Jim's been great. I just mentioned Z Man. Scott's been awesome. Uh, Dave Dombrowski, Marty Allen, Kurt McLaughlin, uh, really the whole broadcast team. Uh, on the administrative side, Brian Banks, Cheryl Zivich. I mean, those aren't names that are familiar to your listeners, but uh, they've been terrific. So uh, I couldn't ask for anything more as far as the Cavaliers are concerned. And, um, you know, calling the games is a blast. As as you guys know, play-by-play, there's nothing like it. There's nothing yeah. more fun yeah. oh, than yeah. calling play-by-play. So, uh, you know, you you didn't really mention, but at the radio station, uh, at the end, or really not at the end, the last five, six years, uh, I was the station manager. So right. yeah. I really right. was running the day-to-day operation of the radio station from production and engineering and promotions and sales and programming. I mean, it was all under my umbrella. So I really had a full plate and then did the games on top of that. So to now have the primary focus just be doing radio play-by-play. That's golden. That's just awesome. I love it. Absolutely love it. So tell us a little bit about, in this first year, did it meet your expectations? What surprised you about this job? What (laughs) what threw you off? Well, what threw me off? Um, Nothing really threw me off. You know, it's interesting. That's great. It's interesting, Mike, you asked that question because people were like, you know, were you nervous? You know, were you really sweaty palms to use a Fred McLeod phrase? Were you sweaty Sweaty palms palms time? Yeah. Yeah. When, uh, when, you know, when you called that first game and I said, no, it was almost a, it was almost a serene feeling like I can, and believe me, I don't think I do an awesome Hall of Fame job, but I can call a basketball game. And so once that ball went up in the air, that was my comfort level. 
you know, I was more nervous about the equipment and the live reads and, you know, Marty Allen's chatting in my ear when we're doing games. Uh, I'm not used to that uh, for 27 <laughs> years. So I was more nervous about the peripheral things. And I can, I can recall, uh, especially those first few exhibition games, saying to myself, I just can't wait to call the game. I think right. I can call the game. Right. Um, so, so in, in a sense, um, it's exceeded expectations. Absolutely, it's exceeded the expectations insofar as how much fun it is. Because uh, mm-hmm. certainly there were concerns like, you know, this is it's, it's a job and I have responsibilities. And I thought, well, it's going to kind of wear and tear on you. But uh, I'm having a blast. I, I love calling the games. Uh, I love the 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 team per se, as far as what they're trying to put together. Uh, JB is awesome. Uh, that's what was really disappointing about having the, the season just come to this sudden yeah. halt, because I think the guys had really bought in uh, to JB Bickerstaff and you saw the results on the floor. They were five and six under JB before things were shut down. So yeah, the calling the games has been a lot of fun and that certainly uh, even exceeded expectations because that's just a blast night in and night out. Was there anyone who was, I mean, I know you said it, it, it didn't really um, throw you off or anything, but was, I know you've had a lifelong friendship with Joe basically since you met him, but was there anyone who was kind of paramount in helping you adjust or was it just kind of, Oh, it's all coming at me at once. And I just got to figure it out. Yeah, it was more the latter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Throw, throw the kid in the pool and see if he can swim. I yeah. mean, there, there was definitely some of that going on because, you know, everybody has their own responsibilities. And I, I think their thought process was, you know, listen, we can't hold your hand through all of this. And so all I asked of them, uh, and which they were incredible, was just, you know, be patient with me. I'll, I, I may take a game or two to get the hang of this or get the feel of this, but you know, I think once we get this thing going, we're going to be all right. And and I think that's happened. You know, it's funny. There's a, a quick story to go with that about, you know, adjusting and so forth. So the very first uh, exhibition game I did, uh, we played the first quarter. We're coming to the end. Da, 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 buzzer sounds. So I go, <laughs> eight minutes are in the book. <laughs> of course, that's high school. Right? <laughs> so sure enough. I got, we go to the break. I got Marty in my ear. Hey, uh, hey, Tim, you know, NBA games are 12 minute court. <laughs> this ain't meant for you, Tim. You had a Herb oh, score moment, basically. I did. I did. And, but it's funny why I laugh at it now. It was an exhibition game. And, uh, you know, but I'll never forget it. It was just. So that was one of the transition points. Like, yeah, they're 12 minute quarters now. And I'm well aware of that, but you're just so used. You're so programmed to saying certain things. So, uh, but you know, we all got a good laugh out of it. And I, I don't think I've said it since, you know, so, uh, but no, it's, it's been so much fun. And uh, they've been, they've kind of said, yeah, you got to do this, but they've walked me through things that I either, you know, needed a little more talking about or talking, uh, you know, exchanging ideas may be a better way to put it. Well, let's talk about a little bit more of the, I would say the fun stuff. You're used to WEOL travel, right? You're going to <laughs> Grafton and LaGrange and O'Leary and Avon and Avon Lake, and you're doing all these these Lorain County and, and, and surrounding area places. Now you're traveling to Los Angeles and Portland and, and 
Oklahoma City and Miami and Philadelphia. So uh, I don't know. Talk to us a little bit about traveling with the team. Like, what was your favorite part of that? What was your what's your favorite city? What's your favorite arena? Um, you know, did you miss out? We did this the shortened season. It, it just is is gut wrenching, especially because they they go ahead and sweep the Spurs and they sweep the Nuggets. However, that's possible. And uh, do you feel like did did you miss a city that you were looking forward to? So just, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, just tell us about some of that. Yeah. Well, we shut down at 65 games. Uh, Cavaliers were 19 and 46. So we had 17 games to go. Uh, and only five of those were going to be home games. Uh, we had 12 games still on the road. We had two extended road swings. So the one road swing was right before uh, we were, we were shut down. We were getting ready to go out for, five or six I don't have the schedule right here in front of me but it was going to be an extended trip coming back and then going back out again for a west coast swing so as far as this year is concerned yeah Mike I there were several arenas that I didn't get a chance to see that second trip on the west coast um I wanted to see Golden State's billion dollars didn't didn't see that uh didn't get a chance to go to Utah didn't get a chance to go to Sacramento uh, actually, in a bizarre twist, uh, never got to never got to Charlotte or Atlanta. Uh, in fact, wow. the game the game that was to follow the shutdown, uh, we were going to be in Charlotte. Uh, we the NBA shut down on Wednesday night, and we were going to fly to Charlotte on Thursday. And we had a back to back Charlotte and Atlanta. So I didn't see Charlotte. I didn't see Atlanta. Didn't see Golden State. Um, like I said, Sacramento, Utah on that on that last swing. Phoenix never got to Phoenix. Ah. So yeah, there were, there were several arenas uh, that I wasn't able to get to before the shutdown happened, but you know, favorite arenas. Um, well, first of all, you know, we, we were talking earlier about my New England roots. So it wasn't, it wasn't the original, you know, classic Boston garden, but to sit at TD garden uh, where they still have the parquet floor and still have the banners hanging. Uh, and I'm not a Celtics fan even though I'm from New England, I never was a Celtics fan. That's a whole nother story, but um, that was pretty special, you know, to, to think that I was calling a game at TD garden, you know, literally 45 minutes up the road from where I grew up and, and listen to those games on a transistor radio uh, Madison square garden, just the history of that arena. I mean, the Knicks suck. I mean, they're just horrible, but to be in that arena and just, soak in the history of that arena uh, to walk around and just see all the pictures not only of Knicks basketball but you know Frazier Ali won and just the concerts that have been there and just everything that has been at Madison Square Garden and all the historical things that have taken place there political conventions and on and on so that was that was really neat uh being at the Staples Center in Los Angeles uh and it was really strange because that was a back-to-back. And I think we touched on this briefly during the broadcast, but we were there the first night for the Lakers. And, you know, everything's up. Same with Boston, you know, all the retired uniforms and the banners and this and that. Uh, we come back 24 hours later for the Clipper game. And not one single slice of yeah. Laker uh signage or anything is shown for the Clippers home game. They do a complete revamp of the whole arena 
to show that it's the Clippers' home floor. It was really almost bizarre. We sat in the exact same spot, but there was nothing Laker-oriented in sight. That was really strange. But, uh, no, and, and, you know, some of the cities that were fun, uh, New Orleans, uh, you know, Jim Jones and I to uh, a blues club the night before the game and took in some uh, New yeah. Orleans-style music and, you know, being in Miami and, you know, enjoying some of the uh, sights of Miami Beach. <laughs> that was pretty cool. So, yeah, it was a, it was a fun first year, and I, I tried to soak in as much as I could. And you mentioned favorite cities or – you know, the only thing about NBA basketball is that, you know, at least for the time that I was doing it, we didn't really get into March and April uh, per se. Uh, you're in these northern cities in the dead of winter. So, you know, it's not like you walk around town. Yeah, come on, Minneapolis. I, <laughs> yeah, Minneapolis. I, I, I remember that because there, there was an ice storm the, the day we landed. In Minneapolis, the, everything was just sheets of ice, so we couldn't walk around town. I was in Toronto. Uh, we had a game up there on New Year's Eve, and so we were there the 30th and the 31st. I think the wind chill was like 15 below. Oh, good. Why don't you go, well, walk around the city. Well, sure, you do that. <laughs> you know, so you know all these northern cities in December and January, you don't really get to take in all the sights. That's but, fair. Uh, but it's pretty cool to, to still, you know, like I said, be able to at least see your surroundings and just kind of be in these different communities. That is really cool. Well, I think uh, we'll talk about the team a little bit. Uh, again, we you hit on it uh, a bit there as far as um, uh, the little turnaround. Uh, and again, uh, we don't want to ask you, uh, this is more opinion and, and, and we understand that and you work for the Cavs, but uh, Obviously, there was a, there became a more apparent, and obviously there were 400 different rumors out there, and none of which I give credence to, because unless you're in the locker room, or unless you're part of those conversations, you don't know. But there was some level of disconnect between the team and John Beeline. Uh, that experiment did not work, and they, I think, fairly efficiently and quickly went ahead and just said, listen, this isn't working, we're going to move forward. And I actually, I felt like from the time they brought that staff on, they felt like, like Bickerstaff was kind of a, the guy that was like, hey, if this doesn't work with Beeline, we got Bickerstaff on the backside. So, and there was a noticeable difference. When Bickerstaff took over, there was a difference in the way the team was playing. It was noticeable from just watching it. Uh, and, and there's those of us saps like myself that just sit there and watch every game of a 19 win NBA basketball team. I thought uh, you'd say listen. I thought you'd say well, listen there. No, no. Now hold on. Now hold on. Technology <laughs> no, no, is a no, thing. No, the TV was on mute. Yes. And the radio was up. You asked my wife that. We did that. We did that on many occasions. Alexa in my house. I better be. I shouldn't say her name too loud, or she's going to turn my lights off. Uh, Alexa was playing your voice okay. while the TV broadcast was on. <laughs> Nothing against Austin Carr and John Michael. I was going to say, they're good friends of mine. They do an awesome job. So I'm just They do, teasing. but they're not Tim Alcorn. Uh, I'm teasing. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. In your opinion, did you, as somebody that watched every minute of every game and got real close to the team and the coaching, what did you notice there? What What did you see that that caused that shift from – 
uh, like they really were a very competitive, even, even some of the losses under Bickerstaff were so competitive and close and they beat really good teams uh, when he took over. What was that shift? What, what did you notice? Uh, I, what I noticed was there just seemed to be a, 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 I won't even say a little, there seemed to be a lot more energy uh, and a lot more passion from the guys uh, when JB took over. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and knock John Beeline. And the only thing that I would disagree a little bit with you on, you Mike, is that uh, when you said you know they decided uh, to to part, I think it was true, and it's been stated that it was John Beeline's decision. Uh, it was John and John's alone. I think uh, he stepped back and just said, "Listen, I'm going to tell these guys right now, this is not a fit." And again, I'm. I'm not privy to what all the details were or as to why John came to that conclusion. Uh, there's been a gazillion theories floated around out there, but, uh, and, but I have said publicly, I give John credit for that because, you know, he's not a quitter. I mean, anybody that knows his resume, uh, Michigan, West Virginia, his unbelievable college background, uh, John's not a guy just to throw in the towel. So uh, I think he really had to do, do some soul searching and, to say this isn't for me. And I think the plan was always in place. I think that's been documented as well, that JB was the heir apparent. It just happened much, much more quickly than anyone ever anticipated. JB was going to be the head basketball coach of the Cavaliers uh, once the John Beeline era came to an end. It just happened, you know, as I said, before the all-star break in John's first year. <laughs> That being said, uh, getting back to JB, I just think he has that NBA pedigree. Uh, of course, his father, Bernie, uh, senior advisor with the Cavaliers, a tremendous NBA coach. So Bernie grew up in the NBA game. Uh, he can relate to these NBA players uh, being around the team as much as I was and, and am, or at least I was, I guess, more is more appropriate term, but uh JB had tremendous, tremendous interaction with those guys. So uh, I just think there was a, a quick buy-in with JB, and I think that was reflected in their play on the floor. All right. Well, here we go. So th now I want to get to a part that I'm very excited about. So I'm going to run down. We're going to play a game with you, Tim Alcorn. And it's <laughs> I, don't just have, I don't have to call it, do I? You don't <laughs> no, have to. No, mm -mm, no. This it's is just in a Joe oh, Buck situation. Okay. It's just a oh wow, is what is Kyle Schwarber a, a part <laughs> well, no. of this? Haven't you guys seen that? Jill, Jill Buck, like people <laughs> were sending Jill Buck like videos of their lives and asking him <laughs> yeah, oh, to, to so play great. by play for us. Yo, Hamilton is doing that right now. <laughs> Tim, you should do it. We'll see. There you go. You should you should pitch it to the Cavs. Hamilton's doing it. There's kids <laughs> out playing wiffle ball in their front yard, and he's calling it. Um, you never know. We're gonna we're gonna do just a little word association game. And I just want to, you know, I, I know that you've, you, you're not even a full 12 months into your position and it's your first year, but you've watched the team closely. You've been a part of practices. You've seen them, you've seen them more in depth than most people will ever get to see an NBA team. So okay. I'm literally going to run us down the roster, uh, the current roster, maybe not some of the, the, reserves or the the people but i'm going to just run down the current roster and i'm just we're going to do a one word association game where you're just going to give me one word i'm going to give you the player 
and you give me the word and we're going to do it fast. We're just going to kind of run down it. You can think about it. I don't want to rush you, but we'll do it quick and then we'll discuss it on the back end. So we're going to start with a couple of the longer tenured Cavaliers, NBA champions. So we'll start with Kevin Love. One word. When I say Kevin Love, what do you think? Professional. I love it. All right, Tristan Thompson. Consistent. Okay. All right. The young bull, Colin Sexton. Dogged. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the new guy, Andre Drummond. Undetermined. <laughs> <laughs> that, not that he's undetermined. That you know, it's more than one word. I think the jury's still out. Okay. Okay. I feel it. it. In so far as the Cavs. In so far as the Cavs. Fair. Fair. Another, a couple new guys in a row here. Darius Garland. Potential. Love it. (laughs) My personal, I'm going to tell you my first personal favorite Cavalier right now. Kevin Porter Jr. Electrifying. Yeah. Larry Nance Jr. Well, I I got two words, but I'll I'll just go with (laughs) upside. The first word is huge, huge upside, huge potential. Oh man. The Jedi, Chetty Osman. Steady. Okay. Another NBA champion, Delhi. Gritty. <laughs> Another new guy, Dante Exum. Hmm. Unknown. Okay. I, I, I think he's shown some things, but. Yeah, and then he kind of got buried, and then he got he got that flu, which may have been. Uh, I don't want to say. Yeah, that. Anyway, you, you don't know, even you say. Know, he, right, he was very sick. He was very. Yeah, you remember that game where he went off though, where he hit every shot he took. That yep. was amazing. Yep. Um, all right, another younger guy doesn't play a lot, but look what he did when he came in. Alfonso McKinney. Uh, I don't want to use the same word three times, <laughs> but. <laughs> He's got potential, so there's that potential word again. I think uh, they can find a fit for him. All right. Ante Zizic. Solid. Solid. All right. Uh, Joey's boy from Belmont University. Now, I I only just want what you think because I know he didn't play anything, but he's a first-round draft pick, Dylan Windler. (sighs) That's another unknown, but – Shooter. Shooter. I, well, again, I can only tell you from what I've seen and shoot arounds and practices, that kid can shoot. Well, I know what I know. And Joey went to Belmont University in Nashville there. And I remember the text. So this was a good draft for him because we got two Nashville kids in this draft. We When they took Dylan Windler, I remember the text messages that came to me and, and Joey's dad. Uh, and and he was excited. So I think I'm still excited to see Dylan Winley get out there. So the last one I've got here, and you've already talked about him a couple times, but I want to hear your one word for him, J.B. Bickerstaff. Gosh, I'm going back to the same word. Uh, <laughs> I, I haven't used this one. Presence. Okay. He's got a okay. presence with those guys, and he's got a presence on the bench. It's it's a, and it's a positive. So a presence. He's got a real presence. All right. So Chad, what stood out to you, based on Tim's answers to those guys? 
Um, I think it was Andre Drummond, and that's where I kind of had the biggest question. By the because when that trade went down, I, I know you and I talked about it a little a little bit, Mike, and it was kind of okay. I, I love that Andre Drummond is on our team. He's a dominant big man inside. He, he can get you, you know, he, he has the potential to give you 25 points and 15 rebounds every single night. But we were, we were curious, like, okay, that gives them a lot of big men on the bench. And he, and this is a team that is, is building right now. And Andre Drummond seems to, you know, is not, not, I mean, obviously he's not a, a an old veteran, but he's been in the league for a bit now. So it's just kind of like, to, to me, it was like, where, where was the fit? Like, what's the plan, especially with a, with an opt-out option for him next year? What, is it more of a, a rental because, but, but a rental on a 19 win young team didn't seem to fit. Like, are they looking at this as more of a long-term option? So like the, the undetermined uh, word really kind of stood out for me because it, because that's the, exactly the question I have is like, what are their plans for him going forward? Well, I'm not, Joe, oh, oh, sorry. I'm just going to say, sorry. I was just going to say, I'm not, you know, J.B. Bickerstaff spokesman, um, and he hasn't really done any interviews per se. I mean, he's chatted to it with, but I would think if you were to ask J.B. the most disappointing part of not playing these final 17 games, or, you know, if we get back to basketball, we will. But if, if it were to end now, is not working all those different combinations and different type of lineups with Andre Drummond, because I think they really wanted to find out what they could do with him. And so the sample size now with Andre, if the Cavaliers don't get back, and that's just an if, but if they don't get back, that's a real small sample size they have to yeah. work with. Yeah, and Joey, I'm going to ask you the same question in a minute, but one of my favorite things, and I texted this to Chad when they when they traded for Drummond, and listen, the future of Tristan Thompson is is unknown at this point. The future of Kevin Love is unknown, even though they extended him. You know, the rumors swirl for days on Kevin Love. But one of my favorite things they did with Andre Drummond, they started, the whole league goes small ball, right? The Houston Rockets, they don't even have, they got rid of their center. They don't, they, they are all small ball and the whole league goes small ball. And the Cavs were like, you know, we're going to go big ball. We're going to go, we're going to go. I said, I told Chad, I would love a lineup where Drummond is your center and Tristan Thompson is your power forward. And Kevin loves your small forward. And they actually had three of those guys out there, not much, but a few times. They they totally they totally went opposite of what the league was doing. And actually, some of those big lineups were where they were very successful. Uh, did you notice that at all, Tim? Absolutely. And it was one of the things that Jim Jones and I talked about, uh, not only when the deal was made, but as Andre Drummond uh, was, was playing. Uh, I know there were a few games that he missed, but when he was playing, we talked about those various lineup combinations because uh, we were also curious, you know, how might it look if, if you got Drummond in the middle and Tristan at a four and Nance at a three. Yeah. Um, so there were all sorts of different combinations that I'm sure uh, JB wanted to get a look at in these final 17 games. And as of right now, they haven't happened. So uh, there's, I think undetermined was the reason I said, you just, to uh, Chad's point, you just don't know. You just don't know. It's funny because when you said undetermined, I'm I'm glad you clarified because I was like, is he undetermined or is it undetermined what he's doing? <laughs> right. Well, that's why I wanted to clarify it too. No, he's a very <laughs> determined player. I didn't mean it in that sense. I just think it's it's undetermined as far as his impact with the Cavaliers. Joe, what did you hear out of that 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 brought up some questions? I think 
it's a very interesting time, obviously, for Cavs, who are obviously clearly in a rebuild. Um, you kind of look for the next all-stars and the next like electrifying players that are coming out of the drafts we recently had, the drafts we have coming up. Um, so just watching you like get excited about Darius and Kevin Porter. And uh, I know like watching these guys is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, and so that's something that like we as Cavs fans can be really excited about going forward, even though we're coming off of a, what was it? 19 and 47 season. Um, but you know, it just gives you something as a fan to hold on to and to be excited and to rally around. So yeah, I thought, I thought those are great points. Well, you got to think of the fact that, uh, again, we never saw Dylan Willer this year. So you're going to have Sexton, you're going to have Garland, you're going to have Porter, still very young basketball players next oh, year. Uh, with Wimler, uh, who should be 100% and ready to go. I mean, he, he was shooting around at practices yeah. uh, before, we, uh, before we got stopped. So, I mean, he's on his way back. Plus another, you would think, high first-round pick this year in the lottery. So – uh, pieces are starting to come together with this team. And I think, I think they're closer than a lot of people think they are. Well, Tim, is there something to that, right? Is there something to a lot of people got kind of mad when they didn't trade Kevin love and they got kind of mad when they didn't trade Tristan Thompson. Cause they thought if you're going to go into a rebuild, you've got to go into this total rebuild, but is there something to keeping love and Thompson and trading for uh, Drummond and saying, Hey, listen, we got this, electrifying scorer in Colin Sexton. We're not real sure what we got in Darius Garland, but we took him where we took him for a reason. Kevin Porter showed that he can be every bit of a starting small forward in, in the NBA. Um, is there something to, Hey, listen, we're going to get another high draft pick this year. We're going to be top five, top four, whatever, I, whatever it is, we're going to be up there this team might be ready for a real quick turnaround. Well, I read one of, uh, I said JB hasn't done a lot of the interviews, but I know he talked, maybe it was Sam Amico, but he talked with somebody recently, and there was a quote where uh, he thought they could contend for a playoff spot next year. Uh, so, again, I think the thought process isn't that this is a total teardown and rebuild. Uh, they've got some pieces in place, and, you know, to your comment, Mike, about the uh, about the trade rumors and so forth. Uh, the only thought that I ever have there is, listen, it takes two to tango. And it's real easy to say, well, they should have traded, you know, this player, Tristan, or that player, Kevin, whatever the case may be, name any player you want. Uh, you don't know, number one, if those discussions were being held. Perhaps they were. But if they were, and it, you know, the possibility exists that they weren't getting what they were asking. You know, you, right. <laughs> If somebody is offering you right. nothing, you still have to say, okay, you know, this is our chip I and mean, we're not going to give it up for nothing. So, right. you know, you don't know how those conversations went. All right. So we're going to switch gears here. We're going to be done with the Cavs for a minute. We're going to kind of get ready to wind down with you here, Tim, but we can't wind down with you before we talk about uh, all the amazing things you did. And we're not, I shouldn't say all the amazing things because we don't have five hours to do on this podcast. But well, some of the amazing I mean, things we you do. did. We're, we're, we're quarantined. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we could sit here all night, Tim. Yeah, right. <laughs> but <laughs> I got some binge watching to do. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it better no, be. Go ahead. I'll, I'll stay as long as you want. Go ahead. I mean, your WEOL career, we've got to talk about for a minute because, listen, um, 
just based on the group that we have following us at this point, uh, there's going to be some people that know who you are and there's going to be some people that only know you based on the calves. But Tim Alcorn is a, is a, uh, a long time, a, a stalwart in Lorain County High School sports, especially uh, some Western Cuyahoga, some Medina County, uh, although I would say I'm the face of Medina County, me and Chad. Uh, <laughs> you're the I'm voice. The boy, like, yes. I'm the face for radio in Medina County. You're the, <laughs> yeah. you're the voice. Uh, but 27 <laughs> years at WEOL, starting where you started and getting all the way up to program director and sports director and worrying about having to worry about everything. But I'll always think of you as as that, that radio voice of Avon, of Avon Lake, of Midview of LaGrange or uh, um, all those schools, Amherst, uh, Keystone. And, uh, you know, talk to us about how, how did that prepare you for what, I mean, like you didn't go from, I think a lot of people think of this transition from you do high school sports and then you do college sports and then you do minor league sports. And then you finally make it up to the, well, you did, 27 years of high school sports and I know you did other things throughout there and you had relationships with the Indians and the Cavs and all that but 27 years of of WEOL sports and and all of the things you were able to do and again I said it towards the top of our interview when you ask the coaches that have been around for a long time you know what do you think about Tim Alcorn the response that we get, even when I'm out there interviewing people and I've only done it. Well, shoot, it's almost been 10 years, Tim. It's almost been that long, but it's, it's WEOL has done so much for sports in Lorain County. WEOL has done so much for our school. Um, how did that prepare you? And, 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 and one of the coolest things you did and talk about this for a minute too. One of the coolest things you did, you're the Cavs radio voice, right? That is like you said, there's 30 of them. So that's all you got. But but there you are on your off days calling games in Lorain County with <laughs> WEOL, which is yeah. awesome. Uh, so I don't know. Just talk about what that meant to you, how it prepared you to, to make that jump from Vermilion to the Cavs. Wow. Well, like you said, uh, we could sit here for a couple hours and talk about that. But <laughs> one, of the, one, of the things, one of the things that I always thought – uh, because I, I listened uh, to all of the games out of Cleveland with Joe doing the Cavs and Hammy and Rosie doing the Indians and so on and so on. My first thought process was, I don't care if we're doing all those schools that you mentioned, like Midview, Avon, Avon Lake, Amherst, Vermillion, right on down the road, Keystone. There's no reason that a high school game can't sound like a professional game. So that was my first goal. Um, was to make those games sound as much, you know, a high school basketball game, make it sound like an NBA game, a high school baseball or softball game. There may be 15 people sitting there and it may be cold, but make it sound as best you can uh, like an MLB game. So I, I wanted to bring that level of professionalism and broadcasting uh, to those games. So in that end, uh, it's interesting, how did that prepare me for uh, the Cavaliers job? The, the first thing would be try to, uh, and I do try, uh, to always bring your A game to a broadcast. Uh, you know, we talked earlier about Joe, and, and, and Joe always told me, 
you don't know who's listening. You don't know where they're listening, why they're listening, but somebody's listening and they deserve your 100% best effort. No matter what the score, no matter what the time of the game is, uh, give them your very, very best. And so I always kind of carried that with me. And believe me, all three of us have been through some horrible games in the fourth quarter. <laughs> You're going, oh, God, who's listening to this? But somebody's listening, right. you know? Um, so, I mean, that was lesson one, whether it's, whether it's any of those high schools or whether it's the Cavaliers, uh, bring that energy, bring that passion. Um, that was the first lesson. The second lesson that I think high school sports prepares you for is just preparation. Um, you know, if I had a football game on a Friday night or a basketball game a Friday night, uh, I was calling ADs and coaches on Monday. I need lineups. I need stats. I need background. You know, what can you tell me? So uh, it's interesting. <laughs> People say it must be hard to go from high school to the NBA. No, it's just no. the opposite. It's got to be easier. It's so, exactly right. You have so much information yes. at the NBA level. I mean, you can't use it all. Whereas, I was going to say the only the only difference is people are handing you that information. Like you don't have to try to go dig it out. People are just handing you that information in the NBA. Right. And you already know yeah. the players. Right. So in that sense, you know, you rattled off all those Cavs players a little while back. And yeah, I mean, I know those guys, heights, weights, numbers, you know, I've been, I, called, I called 65 of their games. Well, not drumming, but um, so, yeah. So you're only really cramming for lack of a better term for one team. I mean, there were times at EOL, I would do, you know, especially during tournament time in basketball, I would do eight, 10, 12 different teams in a week. Yeah. So you were really, trying to absorb as much information as you could. So uh, preparation really at the high school level uh, trained you for the NBA game or any professional league. Uh, Certainly uh, passion and energy. Uh, I think that's just my style as a broadcaster, though. I mean, I get excited. You know, sometimes I hear highlights back and I go, oh, my Lord, man, you got to tamp that down. But I get excited during a game and I, you know, I guess we're all fans of uh, Kevin Porter Jr. So yes. you know when he's when he's doing some of those dynamic electrifying things out there, you know I, I'm trying to convey that because I'm excited about it. So yeah. you know I have a passion for the for the broadcasting. Incredible star potential in Porter Jr. Oh yes, um, big but, guy. Uh, Tim, someone once told me in broadcasting school that you are nothing in this industry until you've been fired at least once. <laughs> you got a chance to do something very rare and very special in this industry um, where you spent 27 years in the same place doing high school sports at, at, and doing what you love at, at the same radio station. I mean, you, did, you didn't move around like a lot of people do in this industry. What was it about the Lorraine County area that, that made you want to stay, that made you that made you, you know, not want to, not want to leave? Or how were you able to stick around so long in one place? Well, first of all, Chad Meyer, I did get fired once. Uh, <laughs> there you go. I, uh, why do you think he is where he is? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't start at EOL. I actually yeah. started uh, out in Oberlin and uh, I was dismissed from the Oberlin radio station. And okay. then I landed at WEOL. So that was the, the best thing that ever happened to me because WEOL uh, was incredible to me. 
they treated me very, very well. So obviously being there 27 years and with no intention to leave uh, until the cab scenario unfolded, uh, certainly would, you know, affirm that. But um, why did I stay? There's a lot of the, you know, the cabs asked me that question, to be honest with you. And certainly the fact that, um, you know, I had a family and Diane and I, uh, we had four young children as I was just starting out in the broadcasting business. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I, I didn't want to live the life. I didn't want to put my family through that life. Maybe that's a better way to put it. I think if I was a single guy in my 20s, I would have gone to every minor league town and small market basketball or small college. And, and I would have taken that path. Um, but we, we had four children very, very quickly uh, without <laughs> twins. And so, you know, suddenly it became number one, do you want to just drag your wife and your kids all over uh, as you pursue this broadcasting dream? And number two, uh, <laughs> You know, Michael mentioned the crushers. Uh, minor league baseball and basketball doesn't play, pay that well. And uh, what? <laughs> especially with a guy with a wife and four kids. So or anybody. You know, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so, so the you know the family situation certainly played a part in that. But again, I wasn't disappointed in that. Uh, I loved calling high school games. Uh, you, you'll never get me to say a bad word about that because. Yeah. It was a passion of mine. Uh, you know, Michael alluded to the relationships uh, and really the friendships that I developed with coaches and athletic directors. And so I was fine with that. Uh, and my my movement through the ranks, it wasn't on the broadcasting side, ironically. It was on the management side of radio. So, like I said, in September, uh, I was running the radio station and had been for five or six years. So I was working my way up through that aspect of radio, not through the broadcasting aspect. So uh, believe me, Chad, there's still times I'm shaking my head going, how did I end up in the Joe Tate birds? It's an unbelievable, it's, a, it's an unbelievable ending. It really is. All right, Tim. So we're going to wrap up with you here. Uh, we're going to one last topic uh, for you. And you wore the shirt. Yeah. Uh, but- <laughs> We talk sure. about all Cleveland sports, and you you have talked about some great Cavs stuff. You've talked about some great high school stuff, but uh, we are we are it seems like minutes away, but it's days away from the the NFL draft. The Buffalo Bills, Tim Alcorn, regrettably, is a Buffalo Bills fan, a major Buffalo Bills fan for hey. various reasons. Sing Bills it with me, Mafia. He's hey. Bill's Mafia. Absolutely. And listen, well, we've done I've never some... jumped off a table. I have never jumped off a table <laughs> hey, in the park. Never say never, line. Tim. You never say never. I will throw yeah. you through a table. Oh, Jed Pot, New York. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, been an exciting offseason for the Bills, finally. Uh, Stefan Diggs joining the crew that made the playoffs last year. You got Josh Allen there. Uh, so... NFL draft coming just a little bit, uh, just a few days away, a week away, basically. Uh, so what are you feeling? How are you feeling as a Bills fan? And what do you think the Bills are looking at as this draft comes closer? Well, I think their number one draft choice was Diggs. I mean, they gave up the number one to Minnesota to get Diggs in. And I think uh, Brandon Bean, the Buffalo GM, 
I think his thought process was this is year three for Josh Allen. Uh, usually it's year three where you find out, uh, do we have that franchise guy or uh, did we make a mistake? Uh, he certainly uh, didn't show a whole lot in year one, made a big step forward this past season uh, in year two. But, boy, that Houston playoff game, uh, it was Josh Allen in a yes. microcosm. I mean, making unbelievable play after unbelievable play, and then everything just imploded in that fourth <laughs> quarter. So, uh, and you talk about a tough night. I was sitting there at the Joe Tate perch with the Bills game on the TV monitor. Oh, no. And, uh, yeah, and I was thinking, well, this game will be – this game will be over by the time the Cavs tip off. That day. I think I texted you. you take actually, over. I gotta go. I think I texted you because I knew you were getting ready. I did. I know I texted you because you were getting ready to do the Cavs game, and I was like, I don't want him to sound depressed on the game. So I think I texted you like, "Great season, Bills. <laughs> go Cavs." Yeah, but no. To get back to that, I think Diggs was their number one pick, um, and I think you know Brandon Bean along with Coach McDermott. Uh, I think they're chips are all in for this year. They're going for it. Uh, got to the playoffs last year. I like Josh Allen. I do. Yeah. I like that gunslinger mentality. He's a big physical kid. He can throw that football. Um, you know, it's Singletary in the backfield. Now you've got Diggs, Beasley, Brown, a wide receiver. They're on the verge. I, I think it could be a real exciting season. A lot of fun. Yeah, I think I think one thing is, um, you know, Diggs is a Diggs is a stretch the field type of guy. You know, right. he he's your deep threat. Yep. Right now, and uh, I think the one thing because I remember hearing this stat whenever people were talking about the Diggs trade is uh, is Josh Allen is one thing you got to. I mean, as a Bills fan, you got to be looking for uh, his to, him to improve his accuracy in 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 the deep game in the deep ball game. Uh, cause I looked up a little stat here, Tim, on my, oh. you know, as I, I, oh. I talked to our crack research team that we have here at the garage beers podcast. It was at Wikipedia uh, about crack? <laughs> 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 yeah. on passes on passes of 20 yards or more. Josh Allen had a 25% completion rate with four touchdowns and five interceptions last year. And on passes of 30 yards or more, he completed just 13% for two touchdowns and two interceptions. So I think that's I think that's uh, that's going to be a big thing. I, I love Josh Allen. Josh Allen's good. I don't want to I don't want to like poo poo on the on the Bills offseason. I just think that's going to be where one bit major thing he's going to have to make a leap forward in this year because that Bills defense is an elite defense and and I think a lot of pressure is going to be put on Josh this year uh, to improve where for the Bills to go. Yeah, thanks for making my night with those stats, Chad. I really appreciate that. <laughs> No, we're here I, for you, Tim. We're here for you. No, I, no, I'm not a huge analytics guy. I mean, there's so many abbreviations out there now for every sport. You go, what sure. does this mean? But I do recall reading or seeing there's some sort of analytic about Diggs's ability to go up and get what do they call them challenge balls, where they're they're yeah, fought for 50, or 50 balls, 50 50s. 50 balls, and don't, right. So, or even quote unquote bad throws. He has the ability you know, to make that type of catch. So yes. you know, you're right. Josh Allen's accuracy has certainly been called into question at times, but uh, Diggs is a guy that can, that can go up and get the football. So I think they're looking for that from him. All right, Tim Alcorn. Well, we are going to let you go. You've spent an amazing amount of time with us. Yeah, uh, thank you so much, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Oh, this yeah, this has been this was fantastic. Fun. 
We hope to have you as kind of a regular here. Tim Elkhorn, I got to tell the last story, my last story of the night. Tim Elkhorn, actually, you've met Joey Whalen before because Joey Whalen was in my wedding and Tim Elkhorn was the DJ of my wedding. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And he did an amazing job. Except Joey, for my wife is named Katie, you and you called her Christy for a minute. <laughs> Joey, good to see you. Yeah. Good to see you again, too. <laughs> but Tim Alcorn, thank you. Wow. Thank you so very much for joining us. Uh, hopefully, we can have you on a whole bunch more. Uh, it's Let's it do has it. been Let's do on it. a personal level, it knowing you for a decade or more, it has been amazing to watch where you have gone. And and I think if people just listen to that story that you told at the beginning of this, of the little kid growing up in New England, listening to Joe Tate on the transistor radio, call Cavs games. And there you are in Joe Tate perch, man. It's, it's one of the coolest stories in all of sports. So thank you so much for sharing it. Thank you so much for being a part of this. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. The bragging I've done Tim since you've gotten this job has been incredible. Hey, listen, Chad's got very little to hang on to. So, oh, yeah. I mean, my gosh. No, this was a blast. Uh, you guys are great pros. And anytime you want to have me on, I'll be more than glad to do it. Uh, I value our working relationship for all the years at WEOL, but even more than that, I value our friendship. Yeah. So anything I can help, anything, anytime I can help you out, I'll be more glad to do it. Well, we, we love you, Tim. And thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, hey, from the Garage Beers Cruise, from the Garage Beer Crew, Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for joining us. And that was the play-by-play voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Tim Alcorn. And uh, what a great interview that was. And, and uh, again, I know we, uh, Tim made it clear, Chad and I, especially even Joey, you've known him for a while since the, uh, since the wedding, but uh, we've been <laughs> close. Yeah, thanks for making that connection at the end. There. <laughs> <laughs> but Joe he and was, Tim go uh, way back. He was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and we look forward uh, to having Tim on many, many more times on the Garage Beer Podcast uh, as as the offseason goes on, as the draft approaches, and then as the season goes on, uh, we'll have him on. We got a couple more topics, just a couple to cover before we wrap this week's episode up, but uh, we cannot get out of here without discussing the fact that the Cleveland Browns released the brand new jerseys and uniforms today. And okay. So I know you guys can't see, but Chad's over here shaking his head. Like he's disgusted. Joey's over here nodding. Like he loves it. And I'm with Joey, uh, but we're going to start with, with Chad. So they uh, noon today comes, they release these jerseys and uh, I want to get initial first impressions. So Chad, you're shaking your head, like your giant head. You're just shaking it over there like you don't like it. What's going on? They could have brought out that hype video and have shown Odell Beckham like wearing a burlap sack. And I could have cared less as long as they win games. I just, I just don't care. They could have saved, they could have saved everybody all of that time. If after the season or like middle of the off season, they just went, uh, Hey, we're going back to the old uniforms and we're going to keep the color rush. Like, okay. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Like, like that's, that's, that's what it, that's how much 
I was into it. It's like, I'm, I'm way more worried about them winning football games right now than I am them, them going back to the old uniforms. I mean, the only difference right now is there's no stripes on the color rush uniform and they don't say Reebok on the side. Okay. And there's no, there's no Al Lerner logo. That's so it's not mutually exclusive Chad. It's not mutually exclusive. Like they can, you can still be worried about them winning games, but also be cool with them changing the jerseys. And frankly, I, I think we got used to the jerseys over the last five years, but I, yeah. so I pulled up, my wife doesn't give a shit about this, but I pulled him. I was like, Katie, watch this video. And, and again, I have a little more, I, I, I like these videos they put out. Cause my buddy, Jeff has a big part in putting these videos together. And Oh, the video was very well they done. Put the video up. It was amazing. I was like, I told my wife, I was like, watch it. I went and got, okay. Listen to this bullshit. <laughs> I go into my closet. I have four Browns jerseys. My favorite. I still have the jersey that I bought in 1999. And when I say I bought, I mean my parents bought for me because I was 14 years old. But it's just 99. And on the back, it says Browns. It's just the Browns are back jersey, nice. and I still have it. That's my favorite jersey ever. I'll never wear it again because it's already a little bit shabby. I'm going to have it framed. My other three jerseys, Joe Hayden, which I like. It's a good jersey. He was a good yeah, player. Sure. Brandon Whedon, because I thought he was going to be phenomenal because I'm an idiot, and Johnny Manziel. And that's the new style. That's the orange with the Cleveland on the front, the new style. Oh so I've got... Those four jerseys, one of which I love, three of which my wife was like, you should save those in case you do a comedy show someday, because those <laughs> will be real funny. Um, so I went on. Now, first of all, let's give kudos real quick to the Browns, because they did this right. Like, I, I don't care whether you like the jersey or not. I don't care whether you like the colors or not. I, I, the, none of that with this part matters. They did it right. They they took this situation that we're all dealing with, whether you're in Nashville or, or Menor or Fairview Park or Rocky River or where, wherever you are, you're dealing with this coronavirus thing. And the Browns said, listen, we're going to completely revamp what we're doing right now. And our sales are going to be entirely donated to the first responders and to a fund that can help them, which is awesome. So I went on and bought two jerseys. Now, Chad, I know why you're shaking your head at me, and I know the people can't see it, but I know it's because they went back to what they did before. Right. They, they, they didn't revamp it. They just went back. It's it's a bit different, but it, only a bit. Great. Yeah, okay. There's subtle differences, but it's not yeah. like but it's not like it's a completely new uniform. Like, I can't say it's a completely new uniform. But I think I think the best point was made by a lot of national people. A lot of national people uh, discussed the fact that the the Browns have an iconic jersey. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like the Yankees, you know, an iconic jersey that right. they didn't need to make a lot of changes to. And and maybe five years ago they felt like you know what? Maybe if we make this change to these kind of drastic Cleveland down the pants nonsense jerseys, which whatever, uh, that it would change some things. But I think, I think ultimately I love the way their video, their production started. We're not looking forward. We're looking back. 
we're we're going to go ahead and change these things to the things that you guys know and you're used to. And yeah. I think they did it beautifully. I I don't know, Joey. What do you think? What, what you watch the whole thing? What do you think about it? You know, uh, I I think I said this uh, on our first episode. Um, you know, there's not you shouldn't go in expecting massive changes to these uniforms. It's not like they're going to come out with like some ridiculous enhancer. They're not going to bring out the elf. They're not going to bring out the dog in the uniforms. Like that's not going to happen. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, for me, like I I love the color rush jerseys. That's like my personal favorite. Um, little bum, they don't have stripes on the side. Um, but I'm still probably going to buy that one. But, you know, I mean, you got, you got the classic look, like, what do you, what are you going to change to it? I, I just don't see a need to. Um, I think they're fine. You know, it's, it's, it's what they wear and we'd rather just watch them score touchdowns and what Jersey they have. on. Well, and, and again, let's go back to, I, yeah, I don't, if they wore white undershirts, and and pads on top and they won the super bowl i don't the jersey doesn't matter that much but the jersey does matter it's the it's the it's the brand it's the logo it's 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 you don't realize it when you're from cleveland and you're a browns fan especially yeah. listen if you're a 50 60 70 year old browns oh, fan you, you're creaming in your jeans right now well yeah but you know what the jersey means if you're a 30 25 20 year old browns fan you're used to shit. It's tough. It's like a divided fan base. Honestly, you have the people that do remember those championship teams. And then you have people that have grown up with a very tough football team to watch at times. Yeah. I mean, you at have an times? idea of what the jerseys were supposed to look like, but it, I mean, I don't know, but people like Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham jr. And, 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 and people growing up in this era, they, they, you know, they were like, ah, I mean, they didn't really care about the uniforms. And they were like, why don't we just modernize them? Yeah, but wait, because I feel like there is a difference there. Because I feel like I did see a lot of people say, oh, it's you might as well just gone back to what they did five years ago. Fine, because what they did five years ago was great. And I know there are um, there are mock-ups with the orange pants, which that's all I want in my life are those orange pants. <laughs> But, but I have to say, when you're part of the organization, when you are Baker Mayfield, when you are Nick Chubb, and I got, wait till you see my picture of my garage beer of the week. I got Jim Brown in the background of it. Come on. When, when, when you're a player, I think it does make you feel a little bit more connected to this team that you're a part of, connected to this organization. This I, I, Imagine being, here's what I'll tell you, Chad and Joey. Imagine being a 22-year-old or a 21-year-old and you've just come from Georgia or Oklahoma or Florida or Texas or whatever, and the Browns don't mean anything to you. Right. But when you put on a uniform that looks like what Eric Metcalf wore, what Bernie Kosar wore, even what Jim Brown wore, what, when, when that's what you look like out on the field, Right. It makes a difference. Oh, sure. And that's why I think, you know, because you've seen the videos where like Baker Mayfield unboxed his jerseys and so did Odell Beckham. Yes, it was you know, beautiful. All, the, all, they, all they knew was the uniforms from the last five years. That's all they knew. They didn't, they didn't know the iconic look. So when they opened those boxes, they went, oh, I mean, Odell Beckham did, did this kind of thing. Like, did, like, I don't know, where you're like, 
Nobody you know, can see where you're like it's stamping podcast. your hand. Yeah, where you're like <laughs> snapping a tin. You know, like you like you like you back a tin of tobacco. Like you're just trying to pack it like that. But um, yeah, that's why everybody loved it because it was you know. It, it, it went back to the roots. Miles Garrett even tweeted out that he, you know, hashtag back yeah. to the roots. So, it, so I went out. So I bought them. Huh? I got two. I got two. Why? I don't know if you guys got any, but I got two because I also love. Hey, listen. Credit to the Browns and the organization for saying, "Hey, listen, we're gonna we're gonna take all of the. It's not eighty percent of the proceeds. It's not fifty percent of the proceeds. We're taking a hundred percent of the proceeds of this." To one of the biggest fan bases in the NFL. I don't care if the Browns have been absolute dog trash terrible. The Browns have one of the biggest fan bases in all of sports. And they said, we're going to take 100% of these proceeds and donate them to the first responders of the coronavirus, COVID-19. I bought two. How many? And I I didn't buy the cheap ones, and I'm still going to buy one more. 150 bucks? You bought the $150 ones? Uh, Listen, man. I'm I'm here to help. Yeah, I mean you're also. I know. Actually, I didn't buy the 150 ones. I bought the 99 because I like those ones better. But um, yeah, bags, I get it. But like, <laughs> what, they just did it really well. I feel like, and 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 you know what? Am I excited? Like it's a brand new thing. Like it's a rebrand. No, but they didn't need it. I showed. Go ahead and Google it if you're listening to this and you're one of those people that feels like. Oh, whatever. They just went back to their old jerseys. Look at, go back to the reveal party they had with Dwayne Bowe in 2015 and look at those jerseys versus these ones and tell me you're not excited. They look like the Browns again. These jerseys, these jerseys for the last five years have been atrocious. They're back to being the Browns and that's a beautiful thing. And you know what? If it all comes together, if Kevin Stefanski can do his job, if Baker Mayfield can do his job, if Odell Beckham can do his job and Nick Chubb and Miles Garrett and the rest of the crew, doing it in these jerseys will be a beautiful sight. Yay. Oh, shut up, Chad. You're loving (laughs) those New England IPAs and you know it. What? No. (laughs) Um, uh, No, I mean, I... The only the, the thing I give respect for is that you know all of the proceeds for these new jerseys are going to, you know, it, awesome. it, first responders for that COVID nineteen. Awesome. But I, I just I I can appreciate somebody being excited about him. I'm not, but but in my opinion, it was just they could have saved they could have saved all of the hype. Don't don't get me wrong. I know a lot of work went into it. I appreciate everybody that 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 all the work that did go into it, that hype video that they did to reveal the uniforms was awesome. It gave me chills, but then the reveal was just sort of anticlimactic to me because there's the same stripes I saw at 90, you know, coming back in 1999. Oh, there's the same pants I saw in 1999. Uh, Oh, it's a, it's a Nike swoosh. That's cool. Instead of Reebok. All right, cool. Yeah. We're going to get off of, we're getting off a Debbie Downer chat here. And we're going into our last topic of the night. Love you. And that is the Tiger King is back with a new episode this week. And we have got to talk about this. But then it got a little crazy. It got a little hazy. And the cops said there's something wrong here. Oh, here, kid, kid. Mama's got. Some treats for you. 
killed her husband with a tiger. She ki- she burned her husband. <laughs> so listen, Tiger King came back this week. Sunday, they dropped an episode. It was a follow-up episode, and it was weird as hell. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a very strange follow-up, but we watched it. We loved it, as we would do, because Joe Exotic was involved. Well, not really, but everybody else was involved. And, uh, yeah, the Tiger King follow-up episode this week. How do we not talk about this? Joey, you watched the Tiger King follow-up. So the first question I have on the Tiger King follow-up, where was Carol Baskin? Hiding. <laughs> no way. No way she's coming on that show. That bitch was hiding. Man, I mean, if all right. She killed her husband. But if she I'm sorry, did say it, it again louder for I, the I people she, in the back. She she killed her husband. <laughs> but listen, if she didn't kill her husband, uh, that sucks. Like you you're she like is just like uh, you can't even go outside. Like, what would you do? Right. Oh my god, I just <laughs> So, You're guilty, but like if you weren't, that would suck. So here's my biggest takeaway from the follow-up. If she didn't kill her husband, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else killed the bastard. Here's my follow-up. Here's my follow-up. Um, all of the people on the original Tiger King that seemed like they were fairly pro Joe Exotic. Saf and uh, the guy with the amputated legs and the guy that looked like Joe Dirt. The arm? The amputated arm? No, the legs. Saf had the John, uh, John Ranky. John Ranky had the amputated legs. Saf oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. The guy with the blonde hair and he looked like Joe Dirt or Kid Rock or Eric what yeah Eric in the original Tiger King they all seem to be very like pro Joe Exotic they because one of the top things about this guy was that he was hiring these people that couldn't get hired in other places and they all turned on him in this episode all of them and and this episode was weird it it wasn't it wasn't as fun I, I will say it wasn't as fun as like the original Tiger King, but it was Joel McHale interviewing people from the original Tiger King, and they all turned on his ass. Like literally, everybody was like, "Yeah, Joe Exotic should spend his whole life in prison." Oh, God. And I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> no, I wasn't ready for it. Like they stood up for him at first, and then they just were like, "Nah, he sucks," because. And 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 it, it was funny because it all came down to how he treated the animals. And mm-hmm. I feel like the original show didn't get down to it that much, but this one did. How he was like euthanizing healthy tigers to make room for other tigers. Like he was just killing tigers for fun. Dick move, they, Joe. Dick they, move. Uh, they didn't give a shit that 19% of Oklahoma voted for him to be governor, they turned on his ass. Oh, well, listen. <laughs> Who's worried about euthanized tigers when you have condoms with your face on them? <laughs> and, you're, and you're campaigning with condoms with your face on them. <laughs> Who cares? All right. right. Jungle cats uh, belong over Case in closed. Indonesia. 
How many people in prison do you think are using Joe Exotic's condoms right now? (laughs) Especially Bubba, like using his his condom. (laughs) Joe Exotic. Yeah. The the I feel like the biggest things that came out from this episode. The people you thought were on Joe Exotic's side that are freaking not on Joe Exotic's side. Like in any and and so the question is, Joe, like, I don't know if you left with this question, because I know you watched it too. Like, where where did the change come from? I you know, I think this episode was it must have been recorded after the series was let out and well, I know it was, it was. Um, and uh, you know, maybe uh, people were getting some backlash or something. Cause everyone was just like, Nope, Joe's like, not me. Like I'm all about the animals. And like, that's probably true, honestly, for the most part, but I think maybe during the series, a lot of them were portrayed as like Joe loyal. Uh, and they probably wanted to clear a lot of that up. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I mean, those people are, they're normal people. Like, most of them just trying to make a living and, you know, okay. move on and life past Joe. <laughs> life. LPJ. Oh, 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 the kicker. I mean, like, yeah, the, the most shattering part of the episode, uh, spoiler alert, I guess, but like Joe didn't sing oh, the song. No. Don't you <laughs> ever you say that. I know. Joe, Joe Exotic like, is the, the angel first that show, sings in my dreams. The first song that came on in like the original series, I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, this guy's got a voice. I saw Tiger. Well, why does he sound like Blake Shelton? Tiger Show, man. I, <laughs> Listen, There's no way they're like producing that in the Tiger Farm in Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Listen, so the, the things that stood out to me, the I thought that Travis the one who shot himself in the head. I thought he did that on purpose. Like I thought Travis was suicidal. Apparently not. Apparently Travis didn't know how guns work. Who cares if he didn't know how to use guns? That man had beautiful balls. (laughs) (laughs) How do you know that? Well, you watched his funeral. I didn't teach him how to use a Colt 45, but I tell you what, those balls were incredible. <laughs> balls. Between that and then, and then right at the beginning of this episode, they had Jeff, whatever is stupid affliction, Whoa. Jeff affliction <laughs> and his wife. And they are the dirtiest people. And they start talking about the nanny. The nanny is like a certified, I don't want to call her like a uh, like a model, but she's like a porn star. Sure. Like she's a certified porn star looking n- nanny. And like, who is this guy? Who is this? I don't, uh, if Carol- I wear a bandana like that out and I walk around to the stores, People are going to look at me like, what is your problem? No, but apparently, well, don't forget the leather jacket. He, apparently, he, leather he is jacket something on. to be had. Yeah. I mean, he's a con artist. I mean, how else would he have made his money? I mean, he can get all these suites at the, in, in Vegas and and has women all over him with his swinger wife. Like, it, it, I mean, he has, he's, yeah, he had to have conned money. I mean, granted, 
I'm just speculating because I don't know how exactly he got all that money, but what the what are we doing with our lives? What the what are we doing? Why why is he a millionaire? Look at you and me, Chad and Joey and Michael. We're just sitting here. I'm sitting here in my basement in a modest Fairview Park home. Buying three Browns jerseys. No. And regretting it, but not, and like wondering if I should have used that for diapers. Like, what am I doing? Why is, oh, I just why got is, an email. Why is that Mike's asshole eligible for the black card in the American Express? So, after buying those jerseys, so I just got an email. Sign up for that, Mike. Listen, I did my part to support the COVID, and you guys should do the same. I just did. I just did. Boys, I did look, 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 look. Look. Oh, wait. Oh, is it not going to show it? Damn it. Wait. Nobody can see what you're doing, Chad. It's a podcast, and we're not releasing video at this point. Oh, sorry. Sorry, 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 sorry. I just bought the Nick Chubb jersey. Oh. Oh, nice. I might go buy Oh, you got the color rush. Yeah. I did. Talk about it's clean. So I I did. I mean, I bought the $80 version. I can't afford the $200 version. Three of them. I wouldn't buy that. $350. I did the Baker Mayfield. I did the I did the hundred. I did the ninety-nine dollar. I mean if I, I did was, the Baker Mayfield. I did the uh Miles. If I was Garrett. totes good at selling retirement to teachers, maybe I could afford and it. I feel too, like but... I, Yeah. So <laughs> anyways, boys, I think we're gonna wrap this thing up. I saw a tiger and the tiger saw a man. Hey, listen. Tim Alcorn, thank you so much to you for joining this episode. Thank of the you, podcast. Tim. It was amazing. It was it was very fun to listen to the ins and outs of uh, uh, not only what you did with the Cavs, but what brought you there, and the, and then uh, some of the ins and outs of uh, the Lorain County Sports. Uh, listen, we got so much more to do, but uh, Chad Meyer over there in the garage, love you, buddy. Love you too, buddy. Go buy those jerseys. Get that Nick Chubber on you. Yeah. Joey Whalen. I'll see you soon, I guess. I'll see you tomorrow. Maybe. Hey, tomorrow is, uh, we didn't do Taco Tuesday, but we're doing Tequila or Tequila Thursday. So I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. All right. You're not what, invited, what? Chad. Huh? You are not invited. Yeah, I'll say, why was I not invited? Are you because coming up here, Joe? it's a family Joe? thing. It's family. Uh, but Joe... Joe when opening day happens for the Indians, we got to get Chad there because apparently yep. he doesn't go to those. Nope, never. But hey, listen for uh, for Tim Alcorn, who was amazing. For Chad Meyer over there in Metter. For Joey Whalen in Nashville. This is Michael Keefe in Fairview Park saying thank you so much for listening to the Garage Beers podcast. We'll be back with you next week. If you loved it, get onto our Facebook page at the Garage Beers, our Twitter page at the Garage Beers. Like us on Apple, like us on Spotify, and tell your friends. Thank you so much much for joining us, and we will see you this time next week. Cheers, y'all. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. 
at hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.